Hello, and welcome to On the Marie Curie Couch, the podcast that aims to break down taboos and start open, honest conversations about death and dying. I'm Jason Davidson. I'm a social worker by profession, and I've worked in palliative care, hospice care, and bereavement support services for more than a decade. Each episode, we'll be speaking to a well-known guest to find out about how they feel about their own mortality and how their personal experience of bereavement has shaped the way they live their life. Today, I'm on the Marie Curie couch with Dan Hudson. Dan's a radio producer and presenter who's possibly best known as one half of a gay and a non-gay, the UK's biggest LGBTQ plus podcast, which he presents alongside his friend, James Barr. Last year, their BBC TV documentary called Sashay to Hell was released to critical acclaim. In the programme, Dan, who's a fan of metal music, tries to persuade pop lover James to embrace his dark side with a visit to the Bloodstock Festival. The pair have also covered Graham Norton's weekend show on Virgin Radio and recently appeared on the cover of Attitude magazine. Dan Hudson, welcome to the Marie Curie Couch. Hi, thanks for having me. You're welcome. How are you? I'm all right. Not too bad. Not too bad. Can I begin, Dan, by asking if you've had a significant bereavement in your life? Uh, Yes. So my mum died uh, fairly recently of cancer. She'd had it several times uh, over the years. I think the first time she had it was about 2003. And then it just kept coming back and kept coming back. And then eventually she died. uh, Where are we now? In June 2022. Uh, Yeah, she died in April of this year okay and it sounds like your mum had her illness for a long time but I was just wondering if it's okay with you if we could go back to when she first found out that the treatment wasn't working and that things had changed can you tell us what kind of conversations were going on at that time for you all as a family well I was in London I was uh, I actually did a podcast myself and uh, I was with um, the guy who I do it with and we'd just done a recording and we were in Soho just getting a coffee afterwards and my dad phoned me uh, and left a voicemail and he knows that I don't like it when he leaves a voicemail because I just think it's only ever in my opinion a voicemail is like for an emergency um, so he he doesn't tend to leave them because I used to have such a go at him for doing it. And then, but he had left me a voicemail and it was like, can you call me back? And I knew that something was up. So I knew that it was either him, my brother or my mum. something, you know, pretty significant happened. And my dad was just like, Oh yeah, your mother's, um, I can't even remember the exact words really, which is weird because people do remember those conversations don't they in quite intricate detail, but I don't remember exactly what it is that he said, but he did say, yeah, your mother's had some bad news and she's not going to, um, not going to have very long left now that was in january 2019 right so you would deduce from that that she would be dead pretty soon sorry to be blunt but you know um but it wasn't until march april 2022 that she actually died which is a extremely long time for someone to be 
you know, still alive, but with a terminal diagnosis, especially when you think of, you know, back then COVID was like a year away from even happening, you know, so she basically saw out the whole pandemic or certainly the whole, I mean, we're still in it now, aren't we, to some extent, but she saw out the, the whole major part of it and, you know, lived to tell the tale out the other side, which is crazy, really. But yeah, at, at that point, I was thinking, oh, right, well, I better like move to Birmingham and where everyone else is based and let's sort of make plans to to be near my mum or whatever but my dad was like no we're probably away off that now so we'll just keep you in the loop we'll just keep you in the loop and um nobody kept me in the loop basically uh, nobody kept me in the loop so I just kept like hassling and nobody gave me any info but my mum seemed to be doing like remarkably well and had no sort of sign of having terminal cancer other than, you know, fairly old-ish lady. And when I would keep going home, my dad would say, oh, she's getting she's getting a little bit worse, she's getting a little bit worse. But it wasn't really that obvious to me uh, up until probably towards the end of uh, 2021. But even then, I didn't think, I had no concept of how long a person has left, especially if they don't want you to know, which is clearly what was going on. Um, so I actually went to New York in December of last year because my girlfriend lives there and it was, in hindsight, it was probably a bad decision, but I work pretty hard, right? And it was Christmas time and I normally work over Christmas. So I almost always take a break at the start of December so that I can come back because I normally work Christmas day and Boxing Day and, and New Year's Day and all this kind of stuff. So I normally get away at the start of December. And I was thinking, what if I get COVID? What if I get stuck in New York, etc.? But at that point, that wasn't really happening. People were sort of through the worst of it. Then Omicron happened pretty much as I landed in New York. And as you can imagine, I got COVID and quite the drama unfolded. Not really for me, because I guess I'm relatively relaxed about things and I can't change the fact that I had COVID and I was stuck in New York. But I knew that like, my mum would be like tearing her hair out and stressed and all the rest of it. But there's nothing I could do about it. I just had to wait it out until I didn't have COVID and I could legally come back which was pretty much January 2022 by the time I came back and by that point she was a lot worse than uh than I realized um and she couldn't really get out of bed from that point onwards so I knew that her days were numbered if you like and therefore um I shouldn't have gone to New York and done that but I mean how am I supposed to know that yeah <laughs> didn't know that was going to happen um so yeah, from, from that point, I was like, right, well, I can't go anywhere now. I need to be able to get to Birmingham at the drop of a hat. And I do a lot of things, but one of them is, is a, a freelance at the BBC. And um, I made it work so that I had a shift every Thursday at BBC Birmingham because my mum is very much like, doesn't want any fuss, doesn't want anybody doing anything for her. So I basically had to uh, keep that on the lowdown and, and sort of pretend that that wasn't happening, if that makes sense. There's no way I could say, oh, I'm going to be in Birmingham every Wednesday night and Thursday because you're dying of terminal cancer. So I had to manufacture this narrative of I'm going to be in Birmingham every Thursday just randomly. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Um, I'm doing some work at, at BBC Birmingham. Uh, it's it's a really great shift, this, that and the other, which wasn't really true. But there was a modicum of truth to it. And it meant that I could justify doing that without making a huge song and dance about being at home. The other thing my mum was was massive on was working and like you've got to go to work and you can't slack off or you can't be lazy and you can't do this that, and the other. So it was a whole kind of situation there. Sounds like what was important to her was that everyone was just getting on with life. Yeah, basically. Yeah. 
I mean, my dad couldn't do that because somebody can't get out of bed. They can't just like swan off to work. They have to basically be around. Someone's got to be around all the time, haven't they? Unless they unless they go to a you know alternative care home or or whatever. But when you're at home, somebody has to you know write off their job or whatever for a little a little while. Yeah, that, absolutely. That was my dad, but I was just wondering though, kind of emotionally, whether because you know you were talking about not being kept in the loop, and um, you know over that long period of time, and I I was wondering why you know why you thought that was the case, why they weren't keeping you in the loop. But as you've continued talking, um. My guess at that is that even for them, they were just carrying on with life as well, which lots of people will do with a terminal illness. You know, it's like, well, when do you sit down and have that conversation? And of course, um, you know, we all communicate in different ways. Language is interesting as well around death and dying. And, you know, you, you used the word dead earlier and died. And um, some people don't want to or can't use those words. You know, and so I, I just kind of wondered: was there a point where there were any conversations, either between you and your mum or you and your dad, about death and dying and about what was happening? Um, that's a good question. Uh, not really. Like, not really. I mean, my dad is very, very. He's also a social worker. Funny enough, he's very, very chill. Um, and he's used to all sorts of, as I'm sure you are extreme situations with people and you have to be relaxed and keep your wits about you and whatnot and I think he's just got that training so that nothing phases him and my mum would always say he's very good in a crisis and he, and he is because he's just like right what are we doing let's sort this out so yeah he was just very um matter of fact about about stuff I suppose which is in some ways is what you want um and I kept trying to say like what's going on like you know I didn't want to talk about life expectancy or whatever and like I don't know he I mean he didn't seem to I think he genuinely didn't seem to know really because I don't think anybody really knows his doctor didn't really know but I think he probably knew a little bit more than he was letting on but he might have been under instructions from my mum not to go too too deep into it or whatever so was that about not to worry yeah I think I think so Yeah. yeah I think so I never really sat down with my mum and had a conversation about about death I don't think certainly not that like coldly I mean maybe it would come up but it was it was more practical stuff like oh you know when I'm gone you need to do this that and the other okay do you know what I mean yeah of course not like here's a whole thing about how I'm dying because that wouldn't that's not really her she I mean in, in in some ways she wouldn't be that happy that I'm talking about her in any, in any capacity but I've kind of made the and done any of the stuff that I've done sort of drawing attention to her but a she's not here to tell me off and b I've made a call that it's for the wider good that I do and do the things that I've been doing but yeah she if she was say let's suppose she was alive and I was doing this and talking about raising awareness of breast cancer or something she'd like that just wouldn't fly <laughs> and it's those practical conversations that we talk about as well and we encourage people to have you know because um you know whether that's talking to somebody about whether they've made a will whether there's any sort of um financial affairs they want to get sorted out whether they want to talk about their funeral their funeral wishes um you know some of those practical conversations can support those who are left behind as well afterwards you know because if if you plan and prepare then the experience could be different and usually is different. I mean, I don't think she did have a lot of those conversations. I mean, she definitely didn't with me, but even with my dad, I don't think that was particularly prevalent because when it did come to plan the funeral or whatever, there was a lot of guesswork. <laughs> um, and I, I couldn't really believe that that, that that had happened, but I guess she didn't want to talk about it. So, you know, 
she didn't want a funeral that that's a, she didn't want that at all but you can't like i don't know how you could possibly enforce that i know that that's what she wanted because she didn't want her first even in in death or whatever i mean it sounds ridiculous but she wouldn't have wanted people taking time off work or doing any of this kind of stuff for her benefit she'd be mortified but i guess i bring that up because it's a good indication of like somebody who just does not want fuss and people in their business or whatever even when they're dead <laughs> you know what i mean so maybe it's about just keeping it as simple as possible yeah 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 that as well yeah was your mum at home at the end was she in hospital when she died no so she was in Marie Curie in Soda Hole in a hospice Marie Curie hospice in Soda Hole yeah 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 so um I was actually waiting by this point I think I think I can't really remember for my dad to text me saying yeah your mum's gonna be at whichever hospice and I think Marie Curie was gonna be the one always and then yeah my dad just sent me a text when I was doing I was actually doing an interview with someone and he said, oh, um, your mum's in Marie Curie. So I thought, oh, okay, as soon as I've done this, I better get on the last train or whatever, which I did. Yeah, then she was there, I think, for maybe two weeks or a week and a half or something like that. And then she obviously she died when she was there, yeah. Can I ask about what your experience of grief's been like, Dan, since your mum died? Um, I don't know. Um, because, what, because she's been suddenly ill for quite a long time. And even before that, was always seemed to have cancer at some point or another. I think I sort of became used to that idea. You know, I've had that idea in my head for quite a long time. It occurred to me on a number of occasions that I might not ever see my mum again because it seemed wild that she would still be around when we were all through the worst of COVID. Because, you know, back in 2020, nobody had a clue what was bloody going on. I guess I, I guess what I'm getting at, I suppose, I was probably grieving a little bit then because I knew yeah. that I knew what was coming and I was getting used to the idea, I suppose, of, of probably not seeing her again during COVID as a real possibility, um, which fortunately didn't happen. And I, I know, you know, plenty of millions of people weren't that lucky and they had to they had to say goodbye in the most either not do it or do it in the most horrific conditions. And I guess I got fairly used to the idea. And then when it happened, um, I don't know. I mean, it happened. Obviously, I'm very sad about it, but I uh, I have to carry on with things and other people might not. But having the mum that I did, like she'd be mortified if I was like dropping the ball and not, not going to work and take, doing anything other than <laughs> carrying on. Um, so... That sounds like completely cold and heartless, maybe, but doesn't it sounds like um it sounds like that's something that helps you as well, yeah. kind of knowing, you know, how she sort of lived her life and and you know how she's seen things. It sounds like that's something that's helpful for you to think about as well. You know, yeah. it's like, well, it's what she would want. I was wondering if there was anything else that you found helpful that, you know, because thinking about people who listen to this podcast, we'll have lots of people who are either caring for somebody who's dying or terminally ill or um, they'll be grieving. And I, I just wonder whether there's anything else that's helped you. Well, so I um, have done a fair amount of running in my time uh, and I, um, I did a marathon in 2012 and I did another one in 2013. I hadn't done one since. But the start of the year, I thought oh, I'm going to do a marathon. And I, I guess I made the um, calculation that it was highly likely my mum wouldn't be around by the time that I was match fit, if you like. But she might be. Um, but either way, 
especially having been stuck in New York with COVID and, and everything, I was like, as soon as it gets to January, I'm going to start training for a marathon. And I looked at the um, list of marathons in the UK and it, on the day I decided to do it, I was like, okay, when, when is 16 weeks from now? Because that's how long I need to get match fit. And it, on the particular day, it was, there's a marathon in Wales, I think. And there was one in Stratford-upon-Avon, which is for me, it's pretty local because it's quite close to Birmingham. So I thought, I'm just going to do that marathon. And if my mum is around, then like, she won't be able to come. I, I, I knew that. But like she might be conscious of the fact that I've done it, which would be a nice thing, maybe. If she's not around by that point, I will raise money for whatever I can. If she ends up in a hospice, I will raise money for that hospice. Um, if she doesn't and she dies at home or whatever, I'll, there'll be something, you know, that will come up. Uh, so... Um, as that time went on, it became increasingly clear that um, she wouldn't be around. So um, I was sort of training, not exactly in, in secret, but I wasn't making a big deal of it. And then when she died, and actually I hadn't signed up to this particular marathon yet because it was a local one. Therefore, I knew that it wasn't going to sell out or anything. So I knew that I could, you know, in case for some reason I decided to, to not do it or she could have ended up, you know, in a critical condition or something around that time and therefore couldn't do it. So, so any, you know. So as soon as she died, uh, I went home within an hour. I'd signed up for the Shakespeare Marathon and I put Marie Curie as the charity that I was going to raise money for. And then uh, I guess that really helped me to, to do something positive, uh, which I guess would take my mind off sitting around doing nothing or whatever. And also, you know, I hate to be cynical, but I knew that I could raise a lot of money for Marie Curie if I did it the way that I wanted to do it, which was posting on social media saying, my mum's died. I'm running a marathon in three weeks time or four weeks time, whenever it was. Here's the link for donations. Would really appreciate any support and post a photo of me, my mum or, or whatever, which um, is basically going to tug on the heartstrings of people who, who are going to give me money. And that sounds cynical and cold and heartless, but it's true. And it's for the greater good, isn't it? So that's fine. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? So I thought, well, I've got to do something good. So, um, and people are going to say to me, oh, if there's anything I can do and blah, 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 blah. I've always hated that, but I can't stop people saying that to people, can I? If they are going to say it to me, I'm going to say, yeah, there is, there's, there is something you can do. Here's the link for uh, my mouth and fundraising. I'm raising money for Marie Curie, blah, 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 blah. And almost everybody did. So I was managed to raise a lot of money in the process. And with these things, as, as it starts to grow, it gets a bit more carried away with itself. And I managed to get press and I was on the front cover of the local newspaper and I was on various radio stations and I was on the TV talking about it. So it kind of ran away with itself very quickly. And I pretty shamelessly sent emails to people who I'd worked with in the past who owed me favors and said, look, like I'm calling it in basically like this is, this is the link, uh, bang in whatever you want. It's all very much great, gratefully received. It's so interesting, Dan, listening to that story because I can hear, I mean, that incredible sort of fundraising, you know, which of course, whichever charity you're raising funds for is 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 uh, very much welcomed and appreciated. But I, I wonder also if there's, um, I think what I can hear is the focus on raising funds is helpful. Yeah. But also it's a way of talking about your mum 
and telling people that what you're going through and that your mum's died at the same time. And I know that's not what your kind of conscious motive is, but actually that's a product of it, isn't it as well? So what you're doing, if you're doing press, if you're on social media, if you're doing a podcast, you're continuing to have conversations about grief and death and dying and loss, essentially. Yeah, I guess so, without actually having to do it, I suppose, yeah, yeah. Talking and preparing can make life better at the end. Find more inspiration, support and tools, including our conversation cards, to get you thinking and talking about the end of life at mariecurie.org.uk forward slash talkabout. I'm going to change tack a bit. So like we've said, you know, one of the aims of this podcast is to encourage conversations um, and encourage people to have conversations about death and dying. And certainly if we know, even on a practical level, like we've talked about, if you plan and prepare, um, then, you know, people can have a different experience at the end. And that's just not the person who's dying, but also those around them and family members and the people who are left behind. And I just wanted to ask you, Dan, whether you think about your own death um yeah I guess so uh I uh I was raised quite religious uh and I read parts of the bible that were pretty terrifying actually and I don't think that ever um has left the back of my head really up until fairly recently where I mean probably during the pandemic where I've sort of gone I'm not sure that's true (laughs) do you know what I mean um I'm not sure that could possibly be true about X, Y, Z person going to hell because of X, Y, Z. So that's quite a, uh, a, um, a thing to get your head around, isn't it? Because if you, if you sort of always believe something or not necessarily believed it, but sort of thought, thought, oh, that might be a thing. And then you've sort of gone, oh, I don't think it is. That sort of leaves you going, oh, well, if that's not what's happening, then what is? And I guess you don't know. and There's nothing you can do about it. But yeah, it doesn't stop you from thinking about it a lot. And that's in relation to your own death. So thoughts about what might happen to you when you die. Well, nobody knows what's happening to anybody, do they? When they, when they die apart from, well, apart from nothing, nothing. But it, it doesn't stop you thinking about it. Actually, in the Marie Curie Hospice, there's a really nice story about how, um, what are the things called that turn into butterflies? Is it a caterpillar? I think there's some caterpillars in, on, this, on the wall and they're, they're saying, one says to the other, oh, I'll let you know what it's like when I get there. And then when he gets there and turns into a butterfly, he realizes he can't tell them what it's like because he's now a butterfly. But the person that he was chatting to will know soon enough. Yes, yes, it was one of those. And I know that that rings a bell, that story, and that's really beautiful. And it's kind of about going to the other side. Yeah, yeah, it it is that, yeah. Um, You know, so that once the caterpillar turns into a butterfly, then, um, you know, it, it can't go back. To talk, to talk about um, where it is and how sort of beautiful it's become. Um, I was wondering whether, um, the, you know, the experience you've had um, recently with your mum's death, whether that had sort of triggered you to think about, you know, some of the practical things, you know, like making a will or writing down funeral wishes. No, I have a will anyway, funnily enough, um, just because I've, own a flat so when you do you'd have to do that don't you 
Um, actually, that at the time was quite daunting, to be fair. That was probably seven or eight years ago. That's quite a terrifying thing to have to do as a relatively young person. Um, but I haven't thought beyond that because I just haven't. Uh, that that I mean, any, anything could happen to anybody at any point, couldn't they? So maybe I should. But um, yeah, I just that seems like a terrifying prospect for somebody who is at the time of speaking like relatively healthy and young do you know what i mean absolutely but i think you know kind of on a on an equally practical note then um you know once it's done and it might take a couple of hours or it might take a couple of meetings um you know once the world's done then it's done isn't it you know and yeah it kind of goes into a draw and then um you know it's there in the future to, to to help those who are left behind when when someone dies i suppose um you know it's just when things change in our life we have to remember to sort of update the will as well um how would you like to be remembered when you die i don't know i don't know really i guess as someone who worked hard and did what they had to do I suppose and was nice to people <laughs> and wasn't horrible like that I mean I'll, I'll take that um I don't I've, I've never given that any thought until just now I, genuinely so um I don't know but yeah I think I think that if somebody who worked hard and tried to do everything they could and anything that I achieved was because of that and anything I didn't it was not because I didn't try do you know what I mean mm. I think that's I think that would be what I want just before we come to finish off um I wanted to ask and um I didn't and I hope it's okay to go back to it now Dan I want I wanted to ask um what funeral your mum did have in the end after not wanting one she had a funeral at the uh crematorium so she was cremated yeah yeah and uh an insane amount of people showed up I couldn't believe it I couldn't believe it and my brother was there and we turned around at one point and they, the room was barely big enough for all the people that turned up, which was like crazy because um, my mum would never really have people like around the house, particularly because that was like a stressful thing to have to clean the house or whatever. And so there's all these people that my mum would interact with at work, at like church. She used to the gym every day. And then all the people from, you know, when you live in a small town, all the people from the area would turn up. So there's all these people, everybody from the street and whatnot. I mean, half of them, three quarters of them, I wouldn't, I couldn't tell you who they were. But yeah, there was just an insane amount of people there. And um, I did like a eulogy. And the, so here's the thing. She didn't want a few more. She certainly didn't want a, a eulogy. But again, like somebody's got to do something, right? And I don't want anybody else doing it. Do you know what I mean? I don't want some person I've never met doing it. So I think I would have had to be the person to do it because, you know, I'm a presenter of sorts and, and, and I sort of know within reason how to do a speech or whatever so and you're her son yeah yeah i, I think I, i'm getting out there why it wouldn't be my dad and my brother as you know what i mean because right, right but but you know what i mean um anyway so I, I didn't do like a eulogy per se i did like a stand-up routine essentially about my mum but i think that's closer to what she would have wanted uh than than anything else i did i did uh struggle with the last sort of minute or so uh, but I did, I did manage to do it and I did get through it. And then after that, um, that was that we played, um, Diana Ross's song, A Mother's Love was, was played through the room, which was the song that my mum had requested to be played at her mum's funeral, which I was also at. So that seemed like an obvious, uh, you know, obvious choice. It's not one of her really well-known songs actually, but that played. And then that was that, um, well, we went to the pub or, or, and whatnot and, um, had a good time actually. I mean, 
<laughs> like can't can't argue with that um i went back to london like shortly afterwards uh with my girlfriend because she came over for for it and yeah that was that it was it was um it was pretty pretty pleasant day really I don't know if that's a bad thing to say, but it, but it was true. <laughs> Not a bad thing at all. Um, what's your mum's name? Gillian. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us today on the Marie Curie Couch and, um, you know, for sharing some of your mum's story and, and, and yours. It's, um, it's much appreciated. I've enjoyed it a lot and, and thank you for having me. So that's all for this episode of On the Marie Curie Couch. We hope it's got you thinking about matters of life and death and perhaps starting those conversations with your own friends and family. Marie Curie is here to help. From planning ahead to coping with bereavement, you can talk through any concerns you have around the end of life with our support line team, which also includes specially trained nurses. Call us on 0800 090 2309 or search Marie Curie online. The podcast is produced and edited by Marie Curie with support from Ultimate Sound and Vision. The music featured is Time Lapse by Pan Oceanic. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do like and subscribe. Thanks for listening and until next time, goodbye.